Uh, remember, this is also Communion Sunday, so we're going to be taking communion after the sermon uh, this morning. So as we are listening to God's Word, let's be praying especially that God does a work on our heart by His Spirit to convict us of sin, uh, to call us to repentance, so that we can have that fellowship meal with God, that communion meal with a clear conscience. Uh, so let's pray that we worship God in His Word in that way this morning. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, but we thank you that it's not just a static word. It's not just a word with niceties or with good reminders. Your word is living and active. Lord, we remember that your word actually intends to produce results. It intends to produce change. So we pray that your word will produce change in us today. May you give us a hunger for you. May you give us a desire to be more like you than we were last Sunday. To follow you, to walk with you like King David. May you make us people who uh, desire you and are after your own heart. By your spirit and your word, may you do a work in us this morning. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Abraham Lincoln, by the time he ended his presidency, had pardoned more people than any other president up to that point in history. Which, that's a pretty incredible stat when you think about the fact that he essentially only served one term, and the one term in which he did serve, he served while literally being president over a broken United States, a country that was in the midst of civil war. If there was any time not to pardon people, you would expect it to be those four years in American history, but by the end of Abraham Lincoln's four years in office, he had given more pardons to more Americans, both in the North and the South, than any other president up to that point. What's amazing about that is Lincoln served as president during such a hard period of America's history, and for the most part, he had unity amongst his cabinet. They had unity in the Emancipation Proclamation, in the war itself. They were able to navigate these very tough trials during that period of American history. But ironically, the thing that caused the most controversy with his cabinet members, the thing that made them most angry about his acts as president, was when he would pardon people. They thought, they thought it was inappropriate that he would be so loose with his forgiveness. In fact, he would give time every day at his desk to review different requests for pardon from both northern and southern soldiers. They thought this was not the time to just be doling out forgiveness. Alexander Hamilton in the 71st Federalist Paper, when describing the uh, office of president, he described the president's ability to pardon people as the benign prerogative, this great thing that a president could do that generally helped people. And Abraham Lincoln loved to do it. He would find any excuse he could to grant a pardon. In fact, in one instance, uh, there was an individual, usually when pardons were requested, there would be stacks of references from local mayors and ministers and friends of the person who's asking for mercy. But one day, Lincoln looks at his desk, and he sees only one sheet of paper. One simple request for forgiveness with no references. And Lincoln, he's surprised, he looks up at his secretary and he says, 
does this man not have any friends? And the secretary looks and says, well, sir, no, I guess not. Then Abraham Lincoln nods and says, okay, then I will be his friend. And he signs the pardon and he forgives this man. That is what caused his cabinet members to become angry with him. Not necessarily the other things that he dealt with, but the simple idea of forgiving. And the reason why I bring that up is because forgiveness is a sneakily controversial topic. It's hard to forgive. Forgiveness tends to make us uncomfortable. Even as Christians, the idea of us forgiving people, people who have wronged us in real ways, serious ways, maybe even egregious ways, the idea of someone coming up front and talking about forgiveness makes us queasy. Some of that may be because of the society in which we live. We live in a culture that has abused the idea of forgiveness, where instead of forgiveness being a pardon for things that are wrong, it's simply just the removal of the idea that there's anything that's wrong. The removal of even sin even existing, just tolerating and being okay with wrongdoing. That's not the kind of forgiveness that the Bible calls for. But even though that's not the kind of forgiveness that the Bible calls for, that doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't call on, even command, Christians to forgive. A pastor can get in front of a church and talk about quitting porn or uh, giving more tithes and offering or coming to church more. Hard, difficult topics, and people will generally accept it, even if it may be awkward or unpleasant. But getting in front of a room full of people and telling them that they should forgive That tends to be a different story. But that's going to be the exact command that God through Paul is going to give Christians in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. So turn with me to Colossians 3, 13, and we're going to look at this command that God gives to forgive others. And remember, as you're turning to Colossians chapter 13, Colossians chapter 3 is a chapter of perspective. This is a letter where Paul is commanding healthy Christians how to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Chapter 2 focused on the insufficiency of all earthly things to please God and solely the sufficiency of Christ, being baptized in Him, buried with Him, crucified with Him, raised with Him. So now remember in chapter 3, it's all about perspective. Not setting your mind on things of earth, if you look at verse 2, but setting your mind on things that are above, living on earth the way that you will live in heaven. The past few weeks, Paul focused on the negatives. You'll notice in verse 5 and the verses surrounding it that he talks about uh, sexual sin. He talks about sins involving anger. Well, now for the rest of chapter 3, as he puts the focus on heaven, as he gives a description of heaven, He's going to be talking about the kind of behavior that will exist for Christians in heaven. And that Christians who have an earthly perspective, who are putting on the new self, as Paul said in verse 12, will be doing the things that he addresses for the rest of the chapter. And in verse 13, one of the things that Christians are to put on, one of the behaviors that is in light of their future eternity in God's presence, is one of forgiveness. So read silently with me as I read from Colossians 3, verse 13. Paul says, Bearing with one another, 
And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. You'll notice that that verse is broken into two parts. What you should do and why you should do it. Therefore, our big idea is going to be really just a summary of that verse in two parts. That you are to forgive as Christ forgives. That's our big idea. Forgive as Christ forgives. Make that your mantra this week. When you're driving home from church later today, remind yourself, remind to others, forgive as Christ forgives. When someone forgets to put the milk back in the refrigerator, forgive as Christ forgives. When people bother you and your family or you get into fights, remember to forgive as Christ forgives. There's two parts here, not just the command of what you should be doing, but why you should be doing it. We can have plenty of sermons talking about how Christ has forgiven us, and those are good sermons. We can have plenty of sermons, too, about how we should forgive others, and those can be good sermons, too. But Paul wants us to understand those two things in tandem this morning. He wants us to walk away from this verse with the recognition that the reason why we're called to do this thing is because of what Christ has done for us. So let's look at the first point. We're going to have two points this morning. The first point, we'll look at the first half of what we should do. The second half, we'll look at the second half of the verse of why we should do it. Point number one says this, that putting on the new self is characterized by forgiving others. Why are we including that in the first point, putting on the new self? The reason why we're using that clothing imagery, even though it doesn't appear in verse 13, is because verse 13 is an explanation of verse 12. Reread verse 12, where Paul commands the Colossians to put on, to clothe themselves as holy and chosen and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Verse 13 is going to explain how to practically put on those things. So maybe if you're wondering, huh, I wonder, have I actually put on patience and kindness and meekness? Well, ask yourself, is your behavior characterized by the behavior that is described in 13? If it's not, then maybe you haven't put on what Paul described in verse 12. Because putting on the new self is characterized by two continuous actions. You'll see two ing words at the beginning of verse 13. We call these participles. They describe continuous action. Paul says that you should be bearing with one another if you've put on the new self, and you should also be forgiving each other. These two words, bearing and forgiving, are two different words that are describing the same concept of forgiveness. Let's talk about that first word where Paul says to bear with one another. When you think of the word bear, think of the word to carry. Bearing is carrying, which I hadn't planned that pun, but I said it in the first service, and they laughed, so I figured I'd continue it in the second service. But that's actually what it means. When he says to bear with one another, he's talking about carrying a burden alongside others. In John 15, when Jesus talks about the branch bearing fruit, he's not talking about producing fruit, because remember, only the vine can produce fruit. 
he's using this word for carry. He says that the branch, it carries the fruit of the Spirit. In the same way, Paul here says that Christians should be carrying each other. Like when you're helping someone move and you're all carrying a heavy couch or bed and maybe someone, they lose their footing or they need to readjust their grip and you can tell that there's been added weight into what you're carrying because someone has, has slipped up. So someone has uh, failed to carry the weight in that moment properly so everyone else has to make up for the difference. That's the kind of attitude that Paul tells the Colossians that they need to have. Not just that they need to bear with one another, but more specifically, they need to be bearing or carrying each other, even the weak ones among us, the ones who annoy you here at this church, the ones who, just the way they say things always rubs you the wrong way, the one who has a different kind of personality from you, the one where they, you just you never see eye to eye with. Maybe they're always putting their foot in their mouth, Maybe they just have this abrasive attitude that is prickly or, or is kind of off-putting. Paul commands us, God through Paul commands us to carry them, to bear them, to bear with them. That idea of bearing with someone has been so abused in our English language today. When we think of bearing with someone, we tend to think of it in a very huffy-puffy way where instead of just going out to the person and addressing the issue with them or, or being honest or, or just being kind to someone, we always kind of roll our eyes, we huff and puff, we make little comments behind closed doors, we say, oh, did you see what that person said again? Oh, there goes that person. Oh, can you believe it? They did it again. That's just how they are. We just got to bear with them. That's not the kind of attitude that's being described here. That's an attitude of really slander. It's an attitude of annoyance. Just because someone has uh, maybe not even done you wrong, but if you simply have a complaint against someone, is the way that Paul puts it in 13, if one has a grievance against someone, which doesn't mean that someone has sinned against you. It just means that you might have a grievance against them. There might be something about them that causes you grief, that you are to bear with them. Do not be comfortable and nip in the bud in this church that kind of petty attitude where we claim to be bearing with each other, but really we're slandering each other with our attitude and our tiny comments. Nip that in the bud. Do not let that occur here in this congregation. This isn't a suggestion. These aren't nice things like at the end of a children's video that God is suggesting to Christians. This is a command for Christians. We are commanded to bear with, to carry each other. We are also called to forgive each other. That's how verse three, uh, 13 continues. If one has a complaint against another or a grievance against another, some reason, whether sinful or not, to be against someone, to forgive them, forgiving each other. Biblically, the concept of forgiveness exists in several words. The Bible will use numerous words to describe the concept of forgiveness, and they basically fall into two categories. 
The first category of forgiveness would be the remission of sin, the removal of penalty. This is the kind of forgiveness that is described of God, because really, God's the only one that can do it. God's the only one that can remove the penalty of our sin or mark that off our record. It would be almost like if uh, you had a debt of some kind, and perhaps someone forgives the debt, what they're doing is they are removing the necessity of you paying what you owe. They are taking that off your record, and they're no longer demanding that of you. That's the first category of forgiveness. That's the kind of forgiveness that Christ and only Christ can do. But there's also a second kind of forgiveness that doesn't just involve the penalty that has been done, but also involves one's feelings towards the person who has done it. And that's the category of forgiveness that Paul is describing in verse 13. Actually, the word that he's using forgiveness for forgiveness is grace, charismai, to give graciously, to freely bestow grace to someone. Maybe you'll hear people say that just in conversation. Oh, we need to give grace to this person. Hey, we need to be gracious to this person. I need to be gracious. Or maybe you say, I hope that you can be gracious with me. That's the kind of forgiveness that Paul is saying here. He's, he's literally saying if someone has a complaint against one another, be gracious to them. Give them grace. It's talking about your attitude towards that person. This doesn't mean that God is asking for a kind of forgiveness that ignores penalty. It doesn't mean that God is calling for a kind of forgiveness that uh, removes consequence. There's always a consequence for sin. We live in a world of consequences, and even if God wanted us to do those things, the only consequence of sin that can be removed is by Jesus on the cross. That's something that God can only do. But he does call for us in this form of forgiveness where we show grace to people, whether or not we have a reconciled relationship with them, whether or not we have the same kind of relationship with them as we did before, what it does mean is that when you think of that person, when you see that person, when the name of that person comes up, instead of using it as a foothold for Satan to be hateful, to be angry, to speak ill, and to sin, instead to show compassion, to show humility, to show kindness when thinking of that person which happens to be the exact words that Paul uses in the previous verse. Maybe you've come across someone where they've said, oh, I've forgiven this person, but it's very clear that every time they come up in conversation that they actually haven't forgiven them, that they're clearly still very upset, very mad, very bitter, very angry, taking every opportunity to sin in their attitude and in their language towards that person. When Paul talks about forgiveness, he talks about giving grace to each other. Are there people here in your church family that you need to give grace to? That you need to be gracious toward? That you need to bear with? That maybe you've been holding something against them for too long? Maybe there's something that you, you don't even engage in friendship with them here at this church. You don't even act kindly to them because you're still so upset and frustrated and bitter based on something that maybe they've already asked forgiveness for. Or maybe they haven't. 
but you can still take an opportunity to be gracious to them. That doesn't mean that you're pretending it never happened. It doesn't mean that you're removing consequence. It doesn't mean that you're calling sin good. But it does mean that you're calling your Savior good, even in the midst of sin. It does mean that you're pointing to the reality that even when ones, when ones have done you wrong, that you follow a God who is a God of mercy and is a God who has shown you mercy. Which brings us to our second point, that this whole idea of forgiving others or showing grace to others or bearing with others, these don't happen at Mormon churches. They just don't. They don't happen at Roman Catholic churches. They don't happen at other institutions. They don't happen at public schools because it's impossible. It's impossible for someone who hasn't been forgiven of their own sins to truly show Christ-like forgiveness to others. Putting on the new self, as Paul describes in verse 12, living with this heavenly perspective, recognizing by faith that one has been crucified with Christ and risen to new life, that is the only way that we can actually have forgiveness for others. Point number two is this, that forgiving others is only possible because of the new self. It's only possible because Christ has forgiven us. If you're here this morning and you have not put your trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your own sins, it is impossible for you to apply this message. It's impossible. You will not do it. You cannot do it. Because in your flesh, you are by nature self-centered. And a self-centered nature says that I am right, I am the victim, and everyone has done wrong to me. Therefore, I won't forgive. I will simply wallow in how I have been victimized. That's a fleshly response. But a spirit-led response of those who have been crucified with Christ, who have been raised with Christ, and who have put on the new self, setting their focus on the things that are above, that's the only way to have a continuous action of bearing with others and forgiving with others. Not only that, but it's even a condition. Look at these verses of Jesus in the Gospels. The way that he describes forgiveness is not just as something that Christians ought to do, but something that is almost, the way he puts it, conditional to even being a Christian. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12 says this. This is the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. In Mark chapter 11, verse 25, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Jesus puts it as a conditional statement. Isn't that amazing? That an unconditional gospel that we believe in, which trust me, it is unconditional. It's secured only by Christ. That Jesus feels so strongly about forgiveness, he puts it this way. That if you want to be forgiven by God, being forgiven by God results in someone who is forgiving others. We have one more verse that says that in Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. I mentioned this already, but liberals abuse that whenever you, condemn, whenever you call out any kind of sin. They'll say that you're breaking this commandment. That's not true. You can absolutely recognize sin in forgiveness. In fact, that's what forgiveness is. It's saying, I recognize this sin in you, yet I am showing grace and I am choosing to treat you and love you like Christ has treated and loved me and not using your sin as an excuse for me to sin against you, but to break that cycle, to break that chain, 
and to respond to your sin with Christ-like love. The way Jesus puts it is that it's actually impossible for someone to be forgiven by Christ and to not be characterized by forgiving others. If you think you're a saved person, yet you recognize in your life that you do not forgive consistently, that forgiveness is hard for you and you rarely, if ever, do it, you should perhaps reflect and reevaluate whether or not you have actually been forgiven by Christ. This is a product of the saved life. And in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, he ends the verse by saying, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. We're not called to forgive each other because it helps us all get along. We're not called to forgive each other because it will manipulate the situation and benefit us in some way. We're called to forgive because it presents the gospel. It is a living, breathing, tangible, observable way in which we show the world what Jesus did for us. And people notice that. Like I said, you can go to other religious institutions and find nice people. You cannot go to other religious institutions, though, and find forgiving people the way that Paul calls for forgiveness in these verses, where people are bearing with each other and forgiving each other. This is not just a suggestion. It's a command. So what will we do this morning as we get ready to take communion, as we get ready to reflect on the forgiveness that Jesus has showed us? Will we choose to embrace an attitude, a willingness as members here at Graham Emanuel Baptist Church of people who are not, willing, not only willing to be gracious to others, to show grace to others, but to bear with them, to carry them in love, even when they are not always lovable? Abraham Lincoln, one more time, as he pardoned near the end of his presidency, caused his Secretary of War Edwin Stanton, to blow up at him. How dare you do this? How dare you pardon your enemies? These are your enemies. They're fighting against you. How could you pardon him? And Lincoln responded, do I not destroy my enemy when I make him my friend? That's what Christ did to us. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for destroying us as your enemies and making us your friend. But Lord, we recognize that the only way we can be called friends of you is because you sacrificed for us. You took the penalty of our sin. You took the consequence of our sin by having your body broken on the cross, by having your blood spilt for us. So because you have sacrificed greatly to show grace to us, may you equip us by your Spirit for us to be willing to sacrifice, to show forgiveness to others. This is only a spirit thing that can occur in us, Lord. We cannot do this based on our own personality. We can't do it based on our own temperament. We can only do it by you spiritually producing that fruit in us to bear with each other and to forgive each other. We pray all this in thankfulness. And in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ.